Good morning, and uh, once again, welcome you to Church of the Good Shepherd. I'm glad that you have joined us for service, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're joining us via the live stream. You Are Free is my uh, message title. Uh, for your information, I have another long trip coming up in September, um, headed to the US, uh, largely for uh, a conference, a missions conference, New Wineskins, which is held every three years. As the Dean of Vietnam, all the deans go uh, to represent our diocese to invite our brothers and sisters in Christ in North America to uh, partner with us in the mission work in Southeast Asia. Uh, but as part of that time, I'm taking the first week in particular for our own personal uh, uh, vacation because um, uh, 6th of September is my 30th wedding anniversary, so Karen's traveling with us. And one of the things I like doing in North America, you know, after two and a half years being cooped up in this small island, is the freedom of the road, right? You, you can travel, you know, there have been times I've driven, especially in the uh, western part of the uh, United States, you can literally tie down your steering wheel and then fall asleep for two hours and you wake up and you're still on the same road, <laughs> you know, because the road is so straight and goes for so long, right? You go and you go there and you say, you are free, you know, <laughs> compared to Singapore where, every, where it seems so congested and crammed. Um, years ago in the 60s, of course, in the US, you know of uh, the story of the struggle for human rights. And one of the great champions was Martin Luther King Jr. And in one of his uh, famous addresses on, in the Washington Mall, he said this, Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. You know, and it was that cry, even though uh, slavery was done away with in, in the uh, 19th century, it, it took a long time before they found equal rights, you know, even the right to vote and, and the like. And so, you know, he was declaring, you are free. We think in our own day and time, you know, I was talking last uh, yesterday to the young people and I was saying to them, some of you are really looking forward to the end of school, right, because you feel like you're in prison, and you get to the holidays and you think, you are free at last, right? <laughs> or, or better still, when you finish all your studies, and I warn them, I say, you think you're free uh, when you <laughs> get out of school, right? And then you've got the prison of work after that. <laughs> and they look at me, you know, uh, don't quite believe me. But, you know, some of us look forward to the end of work, uh, heading for retirement. I have a very good friend who just, messaged me because he managed to sell his business. He's my age, but he's retired now because he's actually now a very rich man after selling his business. And he's thinking, you know, you are free. Or some of you are like me, uh, waiting for the emptiness to come, somewhat with fear and trepidation or dread. But uh, otherwise, you know, I've already started thinking, how am I going to use this room once they move out? <laughs> you are free. Nonetheless, we come to this passage, and in it in particular, Jesus tells this woman who is bent over and declares to her, Woman, you are free. I want us to reflect on this passage because in many ways, I think it's a word that we look for, we long for, we are asking for. This woman, of course, was bent over. In verses 10 and 11, we are told that Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. 
I have suspect it wasn't just strictly a, a physiological problem. It wasn't just a physical problem that she faced. It probably was a lot more than osteoporosis. Don't forget, Luke, who is writing this gospel, is himself a physician. So he could probably tell you know, osteoporosis from something which this woman was afflicted with, which seemed far more serious, saying that it was a, a disabling spirit that had held her for 18 years. And she was bent over. Now, notice this. It didn't say that she was coming for any particular purpose other than to worship, right? Because it was a custom in the Sabbath. They would gather as God's people to worship God. And yet, you know, think about it. Firstly, this woman came and she was healed. Wonderful. But, you know, it didn't end there. The story didn't end there because in verse 14, we see the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, ruler was angry with Jesus. Did he scold Jesus? No, he scolded the people and i.e. he scolded her because his uh, um, rebuke is really spoken to her. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Uh, the, the person is making a general statement, but you know that they're singling you out. <laughs> you know, you can imagine how she was feeling. He's saying, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath. Think about it. She didn't come intending to be healed. She wasn't asking for any, you know, I can imagine if she were Singaporean, and she, like that also can. Uh. <laughs> you blaming me for something that is not my fault, you know, and, and you're scolding me for something like that. And I would suggest to you that while that woman was bent over, she was not the only person in this story or in this account that was bent over. Because I would suggest that the ruler of the synagogue was equally bent over. Which is why Jesus said to him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? Pointing out that you are allowed on the Sabbath to take care of your animals and make sure that they're not oppressed. You know, that they are allowed to live. And pointing out, how can you be such a hypocrite that you can say one thing, but, you know, you apply the standards differently, that you're speaking from behind a mask. That's why I'm saying that he was equally culpable of being bent over. What do I mean? The reformers had a phrase which they used, particularly Martin Luther, in covetas in se, which means curved in on itself. And in particular, we see in Luther's commentary in the Romans, he talks about it. Scripture describes man as so turned in on himself that he uses not only physical, but even spiritual goods for his own purposes. And in all things, seeks only himself. That's precisely, I think, what Luther was talking about with regards to this synagogue ruler. Because he was on the outside, he seemed to be very pious, very spiritual. He's saying, keep the Sabbath, because that's God's commandment, right? It is holy as unto the Lord. Six days in which work can be done. You know, on this day, there should be no work. Of course, he totally ignored the fact that it was God who healed. It was God who was at work. It wasn't the woman you know, yes, Jesus stretched out his hand and, 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 and prayed over her, but God was the one who did the work. 
And is God not sovereign, the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who could choose to do whatever He wants to do on His day? See, the irony is this. What Luther is saying that we are so curved in on ourselves that we can even use spiritual goods for our own purposes is the fact that, you know, even the most spiritual of us can be crippled by our own piety. By trying to be holier than we really truly are. And, you know, keeping all the law and, and doing all the right things. But I've often found that you know, people who uh, are, are that way uh, are very easy, uh, are quick to find fault with others. Very quick to judge others because they haven't kept the law like they have. They haven't been as faithful as they have in their Bible reading or their quiet time or attending service, or attending cell group, or coming for a church prayer meeting. And I could go on and on and on. That, you know, when you're crippled by your own piety, you can never stand it when someone seems to get away with it. <laughs> That's precisely what was happening here. And it's ironic because this ruler of the synagogue, I would assume, knows his Bible well. The Old Testament reading is taken from Isaiah 58. It's a amazing passage, you know. Uh, in my own cell group, we had studied this passage because we've been doing a study on the Sabbath. And he was pointing out, uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord points out that, you know, we can use uh, um, um, sacred things. We can follow all the spiritual rules and still miss the point. He starts out in, in the passage talking about the fast that uh, the people of God have taken. And in the midst of that fast, instead of seeking God, they seek their own interests. And this is what he, he goes on to say in verses 6 and 7. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is, not, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, how it is possible for us to be on the outside very pious and religious, and yet on the inside close ourselves off to the things which are important to God. That uh, I was sharing yesterday, you know, it is impossible for us to say we love God if we do not in turn love our neighbor as ourselves. The uh, uh, epistle of John, in First John, he points out, how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen when you cannot love your brother whom you can? And that love for God always issues forth in love for neighbor. And that's the reality here. What it points to, when we close our hearts off in love towards others, it points to the fact that actually we are seeking our own pleasure. That's what uh, Isaiah said, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. You're still looking out for number one. Your heart is curved inward on yourself. And then he points out, that's what happens even in the Sabbath. If you don't turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you will find the Sabbath a delight. 
right? If you don't seek your own ways, but you seek God's ways on the Sabbath, that in our spirituality, you know, it is possible that even the things which are so spiritual and the things that we do, we are actually seeking our own agenda rather than God's. And in that way, that's how we are bent. Scripture talks about the fact that all our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our attempts to be the right person or do the right thing can be done for the wrong reasons. I think, you know, oftentimes as parents, how we have a desire for our children to flourish and we, as a result, push them or we give them all the uh, um, advantages in life to help them succeed in life. And yet, at the back of our uh, minds, maybe not even in a conscious way, our motivations are mired in our own insecurities and our needs. That we are so desperate that they uh, don't end up experiencing the failures we might have had. You know, how often do we as parents push them to succeed where we in the past had failed? And we are trying to live vicariously to them that is it really to their benefit or for their uh, good that we are driven? Or I think of the uh, dutiful, caring family man who has always been very loving towards uh, his relatives that one day he hears the news that his elderly relative's health is failing and in fact is in a terminal state. And the first thought that goes into his mind is, oh, I wonder how much I'm going to inherit. (laughs) Unbidden. It's our hearts curved in on ourselves. T.S. Eliot wrote a, a, a play called Murder in the Cathedral about Thomas Beckett, the archbishop. And in it, he points out, you know, that we can do the right deed for the wrong reason. And how going through the mind of the Archbishop, of course, it's, it's fiction, but it's not unlikely uh, that even him seeking martyrdom was so that he could trumpet his own glory about how righteous I am, how good I am, how great I am, that beneath everything we do as human beings there is this reality of our hearts curved inward on itself. And you know, this is what Scripture says in Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This could be a very terrifying uh, verse. But it depends on what your view of God is. If we think that God is this uh, righteous judge, which he is, but that his desire is to zap us every time we step out of line, then we are terrified by this truth from the Word of God. But if we understand that the only way we know God is by looking at Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God in the flesh who dwelt among us, that when you see Him, you see the Father, then this is actually a wonderfully uh, comforting passage for us. Why? Because look, 
In verse 12 in uh, Luke 13, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. You see, there was nothing she could do to bring about her healing. In fact, all she contributed to her healing was the fact that she was bent over, was her disability, was her uh, crippling uh, condition. And Jesus sees us, and He knows us, and He sees right through us. Didn't we just pray that prayer, the collect for purity? Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. That would be a terrifying prayer to pray if we didn't know the God we see in Jesus Christ. He is a God who sees us, sees that we are bent over by circumstances, bent over sometimes by the choices we have made and the consequences that have resulted, bent over even by birth, by the fact that we are born in sin and that our hearts are curved in on itself. Yesterday, I, I you know, did an aside, and I think I'll do it again today. Um, there is a sense in which I think the newspapers have already pointed to it that uh, later on our Prime Minister will have the National Day Rally speech. And one of the things he's going to talk about is the fact that the, the government's intending to repeal 377A. And if you don't know what 377A is, go back and ask your neighbour, <laughs> your friend. But it's, it's a law that's been on our books trying to restrain homosexual behaviour, which uh, obviously it's, it's very hard to legislate anything that happens in private. But there are reasons why, as the church, we've stood up and said, you know, don't repeal it without uh, uh, exploring the consequences. And to the government's credit, they've been uh, engaging with the church, engaging with all kinds of parties and, and talk about it. And I don't want to get into the wherewithal about whether they should or they shouldn't because, you know, there are, are people who are dealing with it. But in that whole argument, oftentimes, what I've often heard with the uh, um, question of um, um, LGBT uh, issues is there's this argument, you know, espoused by none other than Lady Gaga, I'm born this way. <laughs> Because I'm born this way, I can't change. But if you understand theology, you understand scripture, you understand the, what the Bible reveals about the human condition, we are all born this way. All of us have this curved inward on itself posture. That if it's, that's the final prognosis, because I'm born this way, I cannot change, then I think there's no hope for any of us. And there are two sides to it in this sense. You know, on the one hand, we have hope that despite that the fact that we are born in sin, we can be delivered from sin. But it also ought to make us compassionate to those who suffer. Don't be like this ruler of the synagogue who points out their flaw without seeing their own. Be compassionate towards those who suffer, who have conditions that need healing, and understand that Jesus sees each and every one of us. And in His own way, He will meet us at our point of need. Now, I know I may have raised a whole kettle of worms about the issue, and you know, in time we will uh, find time to discuss it. But nonetheless, you know, I think this is 
uh, key, this understanding of our human condition is key to us finding our way through society and finding our place in society. That we ought to be people who proclaim the goodness of God. And that we have a God who sees us, who knows us, who calls us and speaks a word over us. You are free. You know, of course, that God is a God whose word is powerful, right? This, I, I take us then again to the uh, reading in Hebrews, and it's quite an interesting reading. And if you're not a Christian or you've not you know, really studied it, you may not quite understand what all the writer of Hebrews is referring to. Because if you look at the passage that was read, it basically talks about two different mountains. One mountain in which you know, an animal, if it even touches it, is condemned to death. Right? You're going to become crispy critter if you touch this holy mountain. And that's the mount called Sinai, the mount on which the law was given. But then he points to, the writer of Hebrews points to this other mountain, which is Mount Zion. And it's a mount on which Jesus died, on which the gospel was proclaimed. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's he talking about? You know the story in Genesis 4 of the two brothers who were born to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Cain the older, Abel the younger. And Cain offered up an offering to God which wasn't accepted for whatever reason, whereas Abel's was. And Cain got jealous, so jealous that he killed his brother. And the blood of Abel cries out, Vengeance! Justice! But Jesus, who is a better able, when his blood was shed, it speaks forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation with the Father. In fact, Jesus isn't just a better able, he's a better king. He is the elder brother who instead of taking a life, gave his life. He gave his life for you and for me paying the price that rightfully we ought to be paying because of our hearts that are curved inward on itself. And Jesus, this Jesus who shows us who God is, speaks a better word to us. He says to us, you are free from the sin that ensnares you. You are free from your past failures, that you are not controlled by your past any longer. You are free from having to justify your existence or to prove that you are loved or lovable. Jesus speaks over us, you are free because of what I've done on the cross for you. That's why he said in John's gospel, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the message of the cross, brothers and sisters in Christ as we come to the table of our Lord especially, and as we are reminded of God's great love for us, that He demonstrated His love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we are all like that woman 
who had, you know, have no capacity to straighten ourselves out. That his love for us speaks over us and he calls us and he says to us, you are free. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. you are here today and you've heard this word, I believe God's been speaking to you. I'm not sure what your condition is. As far as I can tell, physically, none of us are like this woman who was bent over. But I believe that there are some, maybe even many of us, who have been crippled in spirit because of various circumstances, maybe even because of our own bad choices, or as uh, Evangeline had prayed earlier, because of words that have been spoken over us that have crippled our spirits. And I want to say to you today, even as Jesus spoke over that woman, I believe he speaks over us. He calls us to himself and he says to us, Woman, you are free. Man, you are free. Son, you are free. Daughter, you are free. And this freedom is available to any of us who desire it. All we need to do is to respond and hear and believe those words. And the hearts that are curved inwards will be straightened once again. Mo, if I can get you up here. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you, but I also want to make an invitation to you and if you want to receive that freedom that Jesus gives, I'd like you with every eye closed, every head bowed, just to indicate very quickly by raising your hand that that is a prayer you want to receive. So that I know who I'm praying for. Yes, thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? You can just put it up, put it back down. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I may see your hand, but God sees your heart. I'm going to pray for you right now. For the Son of God to set you free. To release you from that which binds you. That you may find your life free in Him. Hallelujah, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for each and every person gathered here. I believe that this word has come at the right time for many. And even for those of us, maybe uh, we're not quite ready. Lord, I pray you help us hide this word in our hearts. Because I know all of us at some point or other, we need this assurance. We need this reminder of the great love that you have for us. The fact that, Lord, you see us, you know us, that you love us. Pray specifically, Lord, for those who raised their hands today. 
in response to you. Lord, I don't know what they are going through, but you do. And I know that, Lord, you have spoken to them in such a clear way. And I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, that you meet them at their point of need. That, Father, you free them from that which binds them. The spirits that cripple them, that have held them back from flourishing in you. In Jesus' name, you are free because of what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the price for your sins. By His stripes, you are healed. His blood cries out forgiveness and wholeness and life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We ask and we pray these things in your Son's most precious name and all God's people say,